uh, to see all of you here this morning. Some of you uh, know uh, this month of May is Foster Child Awareness Month, and the need here in the state of California is, is great. There are more than 55,000 children in the foster care system here in the state of California, uh, which means there is tremendous opportunity uh, for Christian families to provide safe and loving homes for these children and to come alongside of these children in various capacities. Uh, and some of our uh, people in, in this church family are involved in various capacities in doing exactly that. Over the past uh, seven years, uh, Jeff and Heather Smith have been involved with a foster and adoption agency called Olive Crest. Uh, over that period of time, they, the Smiths, have uh, had multiple foster children come through their home, and they've even adopted as well. And if you have uh, any interest in this area of ministry whatsoever, Jeff and Heather would love to talk to you and to answer any questions that you may have and to share ideas uh, even on how you can serve uh, foster and adoption uh, families here at, at Cornerstone. If you are interested, they would also love to introduce you to the ministry of Olive Crest Foster and Adoption Agency here in Riverside. So feel free to go over uh, to the alcove after the service and to the table that is there and speak uh, with them. Um, in connection with uh, with this, uh, we, we, we have a, a number of families in uh, the Cornerstone congregation who have adopted a child or who have provided foster care for children on various levels. Uh, and we have never done this before, but uh, the elders think that it would be uh, very meaningful for us to do this uh, this morning. Uh, if you are an adoptive family... A foster family or an adult who was a foster child or adopted child, and if you feel comfortable doing so this morning, could you stand so that we could honor you today? Thank you so much. One of the greatest things about Cornerstone is its people. And you see that even on display with those who uh, have stood. I'd like to just take a moment to pray uh, for those who stood. Um, so let's, let's go to the Lord and pray together. Father, in the face of so great and vast a need, uh, it is difficult to know how to pray as we ought. Uh, we know that you are our Heavenly Father, and every one of us in this room who is a Christian is an adopted child, adopted by you into the family of God. In a sense, all of us who know you could have stood this morning. 
Each of us who have believed in Jesus have been granted the full rights and privileges that go with being your eternal children. And for this, Lord, we as a community thank you. Today we take a moment to praise you for the special ways that the individuals and families that stood a few moments ago, uh, ways that they have displayed your beautiful heart by reenacting the gospel through providing foster care for children or by adopting children into their family. Lord, we uh, just ask that you would make of all such parents and family members uh, powerful instruments of your love and beacons of light that point and light the way to Jesus. Embolden these parents and family members and children, Lord, to share their unique and special stories of your love that have brought them together in your sweet providence. Uh, Give extraordinary wisdom and grace where such is needed to deal with challenges that present themselves. Give balm, Lord, to heal every wound and fullness and comfort for every ache. We pray that bondages would be broken, deliverances would occur, and that your name would be glorified through the victories that are won. May all know you, Lord, as the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who is always eager and ready to save. For those parents and our church family, Lord, who are right now in the process of adopting uh, children, we ask you, Lord, to, to open doors and move whatever mountains need to be moved in order to make the adoption a reality. And bless, Lord, every adoptive and foster parent and family member a thousandfold in return for the labor pains that they have endured and endure to obtain and care for children who are so precious and beloved to you. Bless them today, Lord, and encourage them and help the rest of us to be more like them as they are like you. You're a good God, and we thank you for your goodness to us, Lord, and even this opportunity to take a few moments to gather in your presence to lift up these precious brothers and sisters to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Well, uh, Real quick before we get to the message, uh, also I just want to remind you that uh, Team Arizona, I think they're coming back tomorrow. They have been representing us beautifully in Flagstaff, Arizona, ministering to Juanita Fike. And I think on the screen uh, behind me is a porch cover that they uh, installed. Jonathan Jones is in awe of the giftedness um, and the labor of the team members. So let's 
uh, just uh, be praying for them as they continue today, and I believe, Lord willing, they'll be returning uh, tomorrow. Also, uh, our summer advance program uh, doesn't start this week. It starts next week, and there is some information that's in your bulletin uh, about the summer advance reading plan for uh, this summer. Take a, take a look at that. Uh, we're going to be going through the book of of Daniel, and also recommending to you Warren Wiersbe's uh, commentary on Daniel, and you can get that uh, commentary on Kindle for 99 cents, or you can buy a, a hard copy of it, and I think we have like 50 copies of Wiersbe over on the table in the alcove, and you're welcome to go by uh, after the service and pick up a copy. Again, the Summer Advanced Reading Program does not begin this Sunday, but uh, or this week, but next week, but we wanted to start putting it before you today so you could be getting ready uh, for that. Anyway, uh, well, let me invite you to uh, turn in your Bibles this morning to Genesis 40. Uh, Genesis 40 for our time of study in God's Word uh, this morning. We're going to be looking at uh, the entirety of the chapter And the title of the message this morning is Faithful and Forgotten. Faithful and uh, Forgotten. Interesting, fascinating um, story, true story that we have in our chapter today. I found myself thinking about something that happened uh, in our own family situation a number of years ago. 33 years ago, in the months before... My wife and I were married on December the, the 19th of 1987. My mom made reservations at a restaurant in Indiana called the Copper Kettle for our rehearsal dinner that was going to take place on December 18th, the night before our wedding. And at some point after the reservation was made, as our wedding was approaching, my mom had a dream that the restaurant had mistakenly put our reservation down for the wrong night. The dream really bothered my mom, uh, and it left her haunted by the thought of 20 of us in the wedding party showing up for the rehearsal dinner on that night only to discover that we did not have a reservation for that particular evening. So the day after my mom had that dream, she picked up the phone and called the copper kettle. And she said to them, I just want to double check and just make sure that we have reservations at your restaurant on the evening of December the 18th. True story. They said, actually, you don't, but we have reservations for you on another night. Well, because it was several weeks before... The wedding, my mom was able to get them to correct the mistake that they had made and set the reservation for December the 18th. And when the evening of December 18th rolled around, about 20 of us showed up at this restaurant and had no problems with our reservation. And we were very thankful for the dream that my mom had had and for her faithfulness in acting on it. In our passage today, we're going to see two men having a dream, dreams that end up being useful 
and God's sovereign purposes useful in Joseph's life in producing an outcome that two years later will have Joseph standing before Pharaoh, elevated to second in command beside the Pharaoh of Egypt and in a position to provide rescue for 75 members of his larger family and for the whole land of Egypt. It's a fascinating story in this chapter that gives us a glimpse into the mysteries of God's good providence that also operates in our lives today. To uh, appreciate what happens in this chapter, I think it would be good for us to make note of some time markers that will give us some helpful perspective as we go through the chapter. We learn from Genesis chapter 37, verse 2, that Joseph was 17 years old at the time of the events that led to him being sold by his brothers as a slave to some traders who were on their way down to Egypt. So we can safely assume that Joseph was 17-ish when he was sold by his brothers. Skipping ahead, we will learn in Genesis chapter 41, verse 46, that Joseph is 30 years old when he is brought before the Pharaoh and raised to second in command over the land of Egypt. The very first verse of Genesis chapter 41 alerts us to the fact that the events of Genesis 40 that we're looking at today are two years prior to that later moment. And from this, we know that when Joseph is interpreting the dreams here in Genesis 40, the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker in our chapter today, Joseph is 28 years old, having spent a combined total of 11 years thus far as a slave in Potiphar's house and in prison. This means that 11 years have gone by since Joseph had dreams that his family would bow down before him. Eleven years have gone by since Joseph last wore the royal coat of many colors that his dad had fashioned for him. As Henry Morris says, this was a long time for an intelligent young man to have to waste in servitude and in prison. In God's planning, however, it was not wasted at all, but was a necessary preparation for the great position of leadership and deliverance to which he would call Joseph. Joseph thought himself ready for leadership at 17, but the Lord had to put him through a rigorous training program before he was finally ready at 30. Part of the rigor of that training process over the 11 and then add to what will be a total of 13 years entails the, the ups and the downs that Joseph uh, will have had to endure. Imagine what the downs must have been like for Joseph through those ups and downs. In Genesis 37, Joseph was elevated above his brothers by his dad who dressed him in a flashy robe. Joseph himself had dreams of dominion over his family bowing down to him, and he shares those dreams with his brothers. 
His brothers respond by throwing him into a pit and selling him as a slave. So that didn't go well. In Genesis 39, we saw how Joseph rises to prominence in Potiphar's house through faithful service. But soon thereafter, he is falsely accused and finds himself thrown in prison. That's a tough pill to swallow. Last week, we saw at the end of Genesis 39 how Joseph's faithfulness causes him to be elevated by the chief jailer in the prison. And Joseph is put in charge of the prison and put over all the prisoners there. And we're going to see Joseph continuing in that faithfulness today. And just when we think that that faithfulness will pay off, the final verse of Genesis chapter 40 will tell us that Joseph is forgotten by the man whom Joseph had faithfully served. In the end, Joseph's faithfulness is going to pay off, but not immediately. But through it all, Joseph remains faithful day after day, even through the downs or the setbacks. Here's one big lesson that we're going to be learning today. If you find yourself dreaming of a better day down the road in the future, don't sit around and simply dream about what you will be like when that better day comes. Think about how you're going to live today and be faithful because you never know what might come from a good deed done today. In our chapter today, we're going to see Joseph taking an interest in the sadness of two fellow prisoners. We're going to see him asking them a courteous question. And from that simple act of courtesy, when he's in prison, will unfold a sequence of events that will ultimately lead him to become the second most powerful man in all of the land of Egypt. It's an amazing story. And the way we're going to break down our study of this chapter is we're going to observe six developments in the story of Joseph acting faithfully, yet being forgotten in his journey to dominion in Egypt. And the first of these developments, we can word this way, Joseph assumes care for Pharaoh's cupbearer, and Baker in prison. Observe what happens beginning in verse 1. Then it came about after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. You can imagine what a position of trust that these two men must have had with the Pharaoh. These guys were high-ranking officials in charge of what the king ate and drank. We learn later in the book of Nehemiah that the cupbearer, the position of cupbearer to the king brought a person into close personal relationship with the king and intimate conversations even with the king of the land. And that was no doubt true here. We don't know what the offense of the cupbearer and the baker was, but whatever they did, the Hebrew of verse 2 
tells us literally that they sinned against the king. R. Kent Hughes says that perhaps Pharaoh became ill after a meal and suspected that one or both of them were to blame. Imagine the pressure that these guys had to live under in providing meals for the king. Whatever it was that they did, Pharaoh is furious at them. He's furious enough to throw them in prison until the matter could be investigated. So look at verse 3. The text says, So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. Now, based on the previous chapter, the captain of the bodyguard is whom? Potiphar. We learned that from Genesis 37, 36 and Genesis 39, verse 1. So if these two men are imprisoned in the house of Potiphar, and that happens to be the same place where Joseph is right now imprisoned, then that means that Joseph is still on the grounds in Potiphar's house. Evidently, Potiphar wanted to keep Joseph close enough to him to keep an eye on this remarkable young man, perhaps hoping that his innocence might one day be established. Anyway, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker are put in prison, no doubt while an investigation was to be conducted to determine the specifics of what had happened, what they had done wrong, and to determine their guilt or innocence and what the verdict would be. And once they're put into prison, observe what happens in verse 4. The text says the captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them. Notice who puts Joseph in charge of these two men. It's not the chief jailer who does this, but Potiphar himself. He's the captain of the bodyguard. Evidently, Potiphar has been hearing the reports from the chief jailer about what a responsible prisoner Joseph has been in the prison. So he, Potiphar, involves himself in this situation and orders that the chief jailer put Joseph in charge of these two men. And notice what Joseph does as the verse continues. The text says in verse 4, and he took care of them. And they were in confinement for some time. The Hebrew word translated took care is the word that means to serve or to to minister to someone. And this is what Joseph is doing for a substantial period of days, serving these two prisoners faithfully. And it was while he was doing this day after day that something out of the ordinary Happens, And this leads us to the next development in this story of Joseph acting faithfully only to be forgotten in his journey to dominion in Egypt. Number two, Joseph discerns that the cupbearer and baker had troubling dreams. Observe what happens in verse five. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. 
When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. In other words, he sees that they are dejected. I love the fact that Joseph is not so caught up in himself that he never noticed the feelings of these fellow prisoners. He comes to these men in the morning to serve them. And the text says that he observed them. He looks at them and he notices that they were dejected. And the word translated dejected means vexed or upset. As Joseph observes the countenance of these men, he could have thought, well, I'm dejected too. I'm stuck in this stupid dungeon, even though I've done nothing wrong. Who cares about these men and what they are feeling? I've got my own problems to worry about. Joseph doesn't respond that way. Observe what he does in verse 7. The text says, He asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, Why are your faces so sad? Today, On one level, this might be a silly question to ask of two men who are in a dungeon. I'm sure their faces were dejected every day. But Joseph notices that their faces are even more dejected and more sad than normal. And he actually cares about them enough to want to draw them out and to hear about what it is that's making their faces so sad on this particular morning. As R. Kent Hughes says, though Joseph had every reason to ignore the feelings of his fellow inmates, he was tender and attentive to their feelings. And so he's asking them why they are looking so sad on this particular morning. Little could Joseph have imagined all that would unfold from his attentive service to them and this simple act of courtesy. This simple question of loving concern is literally going to set in motion a chain of events that will result in Joseph becoming the second most powerful man in all of the land of Egypt, positioning him to bring rescue to his family and even preserve the lineage of the Messiah who brings salvation to us today. We're affected by a sequence of events that were generated from this question that he's asking fellow prisoners while in prison. Guys, never underestimate the impact of the simplest act of faithful courtesy towards somebody else. And in saying that, I'm not saying that every time you do any act of kindness for someone that it's going to generate the same results as it does for Joseph here. But what I am saying is that the smallest act of kindness that you do for someone makes headlines in heaven. And on top of that, you never know when destiny is going to show up on your doorstep And you make a choice in a seemingly mundane, ordinary moment that turns out to be hugely consequential. I'm sure Joseph did countless acts of service in prison that seemed to generate no amazing outcomes. 
But they all did serve to bring Joseph to this moment, right? Every prior act of faithfulness in prison is what led to him being elevated and entrusted with the care of these two prisoners. And every act of service that he had rendered towards these men in the preceding days earned their trust and caused them to trust Joseph and to know that he cares about them. So in this moment, they answer his question and they trust him with this burden that they are carrying. Observe what they do in verse 8. Then they said to him, we have had a dream and there is no one to interpret it. They seem to know that their dreams are revealing something about their fate. And they're bemoaning the fact that they are stuck in a dungeon and cut off from the professional counselors in Pharaoh's court who might have given them a professional interpretation of their dreams. But observe Joseph's response in verse 8. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. Notice how Joseph inserts God into the conversation with these men who were no doubt pagans and how he ascribes to God the ability to reveal the meaning of dreams. Joseph is telling these men that they don't need the services of the dream counselors in Pharaoh's court. God can give Joseph the interpretation of their dreams and Joseph can pass that interpretation along to them So to each man, Joseph says, tell it to me, please. I'm interested in hearing your dreams. And let's see what God reveals. Hearing Joseph's words and his heartfelt invitation to share, these two men do share their dreams with Joseph. And the first one to do so is the cupbearer. This leads us to the third Development in the story of Joseph acting faithfully only to be forgotten in his journey to dominion in Egypt. Listen to what the cupbearer says in verse 9 and following. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches, and as it was budding, its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. If you break down the parts of this dream, you will notice that it actually features three threes. The first three, obviously, is that there were three branches on this vine, The second three is that the vine did three things. It was budding, its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. And the third three is that the cupbearer does three things for Pharaoh. He took the grapes, he squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. There's a feeling of wholeness and completeness and symmetry about this dream, which culminates in the cupbearer 
placing the cup of wine in Pharaoh's hand. I think most of us would have said this, this feels like a good dream that has a good outcome. With God's help, Joseph has no trouble discerning the interpretation of the cupbearer's dream. Look at verse 12 and following. Verse 12, then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. What a relief to hear this interpretation. This is a wonderful interpretation that promises a very positive outcome for this cupbearer. If this interpretation comes true, it means that this cupbearer will be released from prison in three days, restored to his position in Pharaoh's court that will have him serving and interacting with the Pharaoh on a daily basis in very personal settings. Joseph is realizing, I am staring in the face. This guy who's been a fellow prisoner to me in three days is going to be hanging out with Pharaoh in very close company. Well, always looking for the hand of God in everything, Joseph thinks he discerns something of God's providence in the fact that the cupbearer has shared this dream with him and that God has brought this cupbearer into his life so that he could hear this dream and provide the interpretation. Joseph begins to think that maybe God brought this cupbearer into my life in order that he might serve as my ticket out of prison. So listen to what Joseph asks the cupbearer to do once he's restored to the service of Pharaoh. In verse 14, Joseph says, Only keep me in mind when it goes well with you, and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was, in fact, kidnapped. It's the Hebrew word stolen. I was, in fact, kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon. This verse, or a couple verses here, gives us a remarkable window into Joseph's state of mind and how he sees his circumstances at this point. He views himself as having been kidnapped and stolen against his will. He claims he's innocent of the, the accusation of Potiphar's wife against him and that he did not deserve to be thrown into this dungeon. And the word he uses that is translated dungeon here is the same word translated pit back in Genesis 37, verse 24, the pit that Joseph's brothers had thrown him into back 11 years prior. In Joseph's mind, being banished to this prison feels very much like what his brothers did to him when they threw him in a pit 11 years prior. And Joseph is like talking to the cupbearer saying, get me out of this pit. Joseph's words reveal that this prison is not a place where he wants to be for the rest of his life. It bothers him that he is in this place. 
Yet, remarkably, as unfair as Joseph knows that his circumstance is, he speaks to this cupbearer, takes an interest in the fact that his face was sad and hears the dream and gives an interpretation of the dream and speaks good news of release to this cupbearer. And he seizes the opportunity to ask the cupbearer to help him out once he is restored to Pharaoh. Get me out of this house is his request to the cupbearer at the end of verse 14. Well, so far, so good. The cupbearer told Joseph his dream and his dream promises a wonderful positive fulfillment. The baker is sitting there listening to this exchange and he's starting to get excited. He hears the wonderful interpretation that Joseph has just given to the cupbearer's dream. And so the baker speaks up. And this brings us to the next development in this amazing story. Development number four, Joseph hears and interprets the baker's dream. Observe what the baker does in verses 16 and 17. When the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, he said to Joseph, I also saw in my dream, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head, and in the top basket there were some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. End of dream. That's where the dream ends, which is not a good sign, right? I'm no interpreter of dreams, but this dream does not sound good at all. The baker has baskets of bread on his head. Some of you would be concerned about the fact that it's white bread, (laughs) which would be a bad sign. And in the top basket was baked food for Pharaoh, yet the food is evidently left unprotected and birds are eating them out of the basket. Alfred Hitchcock would tell you that the presence of birds (laughs) in a dream is ominous. The fact that the birds were eating the baked goods intended for Pharaoh is ominous as well. The fact that the baker never even reaches Pharaoh to give him the baked goods is terribly dark and ominous. Upon hearing the baker's dream, Joseph, I have no doubt, takes a deep breath and then begins to give him the interpretation. Listen to what he says in verses 18 and 19. Then Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. So far, so good. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and will hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh off you. His interpretation of the baker's dream, you'll note, starts off exactly the same way it did for the cupbearer. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head. But what a difference what follows makes, right? The expression, hang you on a tree, could be translated, impale you on a pole or hang you on a stake. This baker is clearly guilty 
and will be sentenced accordingly. He will be hung on a tree, hung on a stake, and paled on a pole where his beheaded body will be left to hang while it is eaten away by scavenger birds. Can you imagine the look on the baker's face after Joseph gives him this interpretation? I'm sure that these were hard words for Joseph to speak to this baker. Joseph has been serving this man and no doubt has come to really care for him. But as hard as it may have been, Joseph is faithful to speak the bad news so that the baker could at least have three days to prepare himself for his fate. I love how faithful Joseph is to speak the truth of God in response to both of these dreams. To the cupbearer, he's faithful to speak good news. To the baker, he is faithful to speak the bad news. He doesn't hold back the good news, and he doesn't sugarcoat the bad news to the baker either. He speaks truth, just as God has called you and I to speak truth to people, speaking the bad news to people that they are lost in their sins and under God's wrath apart from Christ, while at the same time being faithful to speak the good news of the forgiveness of sins and eternal salvation that is given to all those who do believe in Christ. May God give us the grace that he gives to Joseph here for us to declare both the bad news and the greater good news that God calls us to declare. If Joseph could look into the future and see what our good news is, He'd be jealous of us. I wish I could tell people your good news that you can share with other people of what God has done through Christ at the cross. Well, as Joseph speaks the bad news to this baker, you can bet that he had to be pretty confident, right? This is not the kind of thing you go saying to someone if you're like not sure if this is the right interpretation. I mean... You don't want to go saying to someone, well, God has revealed to me that you're going to be hung on a tree and birds are going to eat your flesh and then have that not come true and then say to the person, I'm sorry, I must have got that wrong. My bad. Joseph is clearly being helped by God and he delivers the interpretation of the baker's dream with confidence and precision, knowing confidently that what he is saying is truly going to come to pass. Well, both the dream of the cupbearer and the dream of the baker featured the number three, as we've mentioned, meaning that both of their dreams will be fulfilled in three days. And this brings us to the fifth development in this story of Joseph acting faithfully only to be forgotten in his journey toward dominion in Egypt Number five, Joseph's interpretations come true for the cupbearer and the baker. Observe what happens to the cupbearer and and the baker in verses 20 through 21. Thus it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants 
He restored the chief cupbearer to his office, and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had interpreted to them. From one standpoint, this is a good day for Joseph. What he said would happen has happened down to the details. The cupbearer, who is now restored to Pharaoh, had to have noticed this. He's been restored to the service of Pharaoh just as Joseph told him that he would be. The baker has been hung just as Joseph foretold. Surely the cupbearer is going to tell Pharaoh about this amazing man in the prison who interpreted his dream and predicted all of this, especially given the fact that Joseph asked him, could you do this when you are restored to Pharaoh? Think about how Joseph is feeling once these two men are pulled out of the prison and they experience the fates that Joseph had predicted. Imagine how Joseph is feeling at this moment. I have little doubt that Joseph is sobered by it all, but that he's also walking with something of a spring in his step on this day and the days that followed, thinking, surely the cupbearer is going to tell Pharaoh about me and will set in motion my release from this prison. I took good care of this man. I interpreted his dream. And that man is now in the presence of Pharaoh once again, having daily conversations with him, surely it's a matter of time before this cupbearer is going to say something to Pharaoh about my situation and set about my release from prison. I'm sure that Joseph's faith in his own dreams from 11 years prior had to be soaring right now as well. God is clearly showing Joseph that he is in the dream fulfillment business which had to have given Joseph tremendous hope that his own dreams from 11 years ago are going to be fulfilled. But God, his ways are above our ways and his thoughts are above our thoughts. He's always doing a million things and his ways are not always what we expect them to be, but his ways are always right. Amen. No one could fault Joseph for asking the cupbearer to talk to Pharaoh about his situation. But I think God wants to teach Joseph to put his confidence in God alone and not in any man. It will not be the cupbearer who gets Joseph out of prison. It will be God who does that. And this brings us to the final development in this story that we find in Genesis 40. And that is number six, the cupbearer completely forgets about Joseph. He completely forgets about Joseph. Observe how the chapter ends in verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Caught up in the joy of being restored to Pharaoh and the festivities, no doubt, of this day, the cupbearer never says a word to Pharaoh about Joseph on this day or in the days that followed. Two verbs are used here to put an exclamation point on the cupbearer's failure. Verse 23 tells us that the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, 
but forgot him. As Bruce Waltke says, this is not a mental lapse, but a moral lapse on the part of this cupbearer. He self-centeredly does not bother to remember himself with his former inmate. In fact, two years from right now, the cupbearer will admit his failure to Pharaoh and he will actually call his failure to remember Joseph a sin. He will use the Hebrew word for sin to describe his failure. Nonetheless, day after day goes by and then week after week and slowly the spring in Joseph's step disappears. Whatever he expected might happen does not happen and Joseph is left with the dark reality that he has been obviously forgotten by the chief cupbearer. Perhaps Joseph was tempted to wonder if he had been forgotten by God as well. Perhaps Joseph prayed prayers like the psalmist prays in Psalm 13, 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Think of the raw honesty of that question. The question is not, have you forgotten me? It's, no, you have, but how long? Will it be forever or just a period of time? The psalmist is just putting his feelings out there for the Lord in this psalm. And we don't know, but I'm sure there were at least temptations for Joseph to struggle with similar kinds of thoughts. We do know from Psalm 105, verse 19, that God is continuing to test Joseph, refining him as through fire, preparing him for the day of his coming vindication, which will come in God's way and in God's perfect timing. And when that day of vindication comes, God is the one who's going to get the glory for it, not some cupbearer. Most of us know, just as we begin to wrap things up, Today, most of us know how this story is going to end. In the next chapter, Pharaoh is going to have a dream and a couple dreams. No one's going to be able to interpret the dreams. Then the cupbearer is finally going to remember Joseph and tell Pharaoh about him. Joseph is going to be called out of prison and will stand before Pharaoh and give the interpretation of the dreams to Pharaoh. One thing is going to lead to another and Joseph will end up becoming the second most powerful man in the land of Egypt and will be used by God to bring leadership to all of Egypt and rescue to his family. But all of that is two years away. Two years away. And for now, Joseph is left to deal with yet another setback, another disappointment, and continue his stint in prison without knowing how this is going to end up. He's left watching the cupbearer's dream come true while his own dreams are languishing in prison. He's left with the reality of being forgotten by the very man he had served and whose release he had predicted. You know, it's one thing to not have your dreams come true. It's another thing to have to watch someone else's dreams come true when yours are not coming true. That's Joseph's lot.
And he has to live with that reality for two full years being forgotten by the cupbearer. I was talking to Alvin Davis a couple weeks ago about Joseph, and and Alvin said this, and it's stuck with me ever since. He says, when you look at where Joseph ends up, all of us would quickly sign up for that. But when you look at the road that Joseph had to take to get there, which was 13 years of slavery and shackles, not a lot of us would have wanted to sign up for that. And Alvin's right. We want the outcomes, but we're not so excited about the journey to those outcomes. So it's good to remind ourselves that if you want to sign up for the one, you have to sign up for the other because it's the disappointments. And you know this is true from your own life. It's the disappointments and it's the hurts and it's the betrayals and the setbacks and the trials that are used by God to shape your character and to make you ready for those good outcomes that God does intend to bring your way. We need to trust him with that and rejoice in the work he's doing in us and preparing us for usefulness for him. Joseph's life, as we've seen, has had significant ups and downs over the years. He's gone from elevation before his brothers to a pit and then to slavery. He's gone from elevation in Potiphar's house to accusation and imprisonment. He's gone now from elevation and faithful service in prison to being totally forgotten by the cupbearer that he had served. Yet underneath those ups and downs is the deep current of God's sovereignty that is bringing things toward the good outcome that he has ordained. Joseph may be feeling forgotten by now, but we all know that he is not forgotten. You yourself may feel forgotten right now, forgotten by God, but you are so not forgotten by God. God is working And I can promise you that the deep current of his sovereign providence is at work and God loves you and he is accomplishing his purposes inside of you in ways that you can't even right now comprehend. Part of how God is doing all of this in Joseph's life is through the miracle that is Joseph himself. Through his faithfulness in prison, Joseph is elevated over all the other prisoners. So when the cupbearer and baker are put in prison, Joseph is put in charge of looking after them. And he faithfully cares for them day after day, and he earns their trust. He sees they are dejected, so he asks, why are your faces so sad? Little realizing the history-altering good that would unfold from that simple question of courtesy. These men tell him their dreams and he faithfully gives them the interpretation of their dreams with God's help. All along the way, we see Joseph being faithful in the little things, the very little things, even while in a dungeon 
And it was because he was faithful in the very little things that God will one day entrust greater things to him down the road. Here's one of the things we can learn from Joseph, that you can learn from Joseph. If you're in a pit right now, be faithful in that pit. Maybe you want bigger and better things to come to you. That's fair. But be faithful with the little things that are coming to you now. Jesus himself teaches us that when God evaluates a person, here's how God thinks with regard to that person. In Luke 16, 10, Jesus says, He who is faithful in a very little thing, underline that, in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. You want to know how you're going to handle the big things that will come later? Just look at how you're handling the very little things now. In Luke 19, 17, God looks upon the person who has been faithful in little and says, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing, be in authority over ten cities. That day is going to come for Joseph. And the path to that outcome will be paved by Joseph's faithfulness in the little things, the very little things in the meantime. So I say to you again this morning, if you dream of a better day down the road, don't sit around and simply dream of what you're going to be like in that better day when it comes. Think about how you're going to live today and be faithful today because you never know what might come from a good deed done today. If you're in school right now, don't just dream of what you're going to be like when you're out of school. Think about how you will be faithful even now while you are in school. If you're single, don't just dream about what you're going to be like when you're married. Man, I'm going to be an amazing person when I'm married. No, think about what you are going to be like today as a single person. And be faithful. If you're living under your parents' roof right now, don't just dream about what you're going to be like when you're out from under their roof. Be faithful in the very little things now while you are under their roof. Don't just think about how generous you will be with your money when you have a full career and a salary. Think about how you're going to live now, how generous you will be now with your resources right now at this time in your life, even though what you're getting now is comparatively very little. Wherever you're at, on the mountaintop or in the pit, doesn't matter, have a sense of adventure about you. Whatever your circumstances are right now, serve God, serve other people in ways large and small, and know that every single thing you do redounds in some way through all of eternity to the glory of Christ. And know that some things you do are fraught with earthly significance that you cannot even right now imagine. And you don't have to figure out which one is which. Just be faithful in everything, big and little, and be a blessing wherever you can. 
Here's one thing I know for sure. Whatever your future is, you will discover your future inside of faithfulness to your duties today. And if you need motivation to do that, look no further than Jesus Christ himself who did exactly that. Christ laid aside his heavenly royal robes, allowed himself to come to earth. He grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man through utter and complete faithfulness. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He did so many good deeds that the world itself could not contain the books that could be written of those deeds that he did. And at the peak of his ministry, he comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey And it seemed to his followers that he was coming into the glory of his kingdom. This is his moment of elevation. But he was rejected by his people. He was betrayed by Judas, abandoned by his disciples, denied by Peter, falsely accused and found guilty by the Sanhedrin handed over by Pilate to be crucified. And worst of all, Jesus cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But Jesus never gave way to bitterness. He continued doing what was right, even while on the cross. He prayed for the Father to forgive those who were crucifying and mocking him. He spoke words of grace and welcome to one of the thieves who was dying with him. Jesus even spoke to his mother, Mary, and John to make sure they would be taking care of each other in the days ahead. And he trusted his father to his final breath, saying, Into your hands I entrust my spirit. Total trust, total faithfulness from beginning to end. And then, after three days, his exaltation came. He was raised from the dead, and then a month and a half later, he was exalted to God's right hand. And when he was elevated to the very right hand of God, Jesus did not forget about you like the cupbearer forgot about Joseph. Jesus is in the Father's presence and he ever lives to make intercession as your advocate and my advocate, as the advocate of all who believe in him. And Jesus will never forget about any of his sheep or let them down ever. And Christ didn't just reach his destiny in spite of his suffering. He reached his destiny Through suffering. He didn't just reach his exaltation in spite of the cross, but through the cross. And you can reach your destiny through his cross also. If you'll come to the foot of the cross today and believe in him. I hope, just in what I've reviewed briefly about Jesus, that you've heard enough to allow Jesus to be your Joseph. To let him be to you what Joseph was to the cupbearer and to the baker. 
that you would listen to Jesus and let him tell you the interpretation of things. Let him be the one who tells you the meaning of things. Let him be the one who gives you the bad news and the good news that you can trust. And Jesus does speak bad news. In Luke chapter 13, verse 3, Jesus says, I tell you, unless you repent, you will perish. In John 3, 17, Jesus himself says, He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's the bad news, but Jesus also speaks good news that you and I can trust. For all who believe in him. In John 3, 16, Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. In John six thirty seven, Jesus says, the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. No matter how broken or messed up, how many doubts you still may have and questions still unanswered, Jesus says, anyone who comes to me, I'm not going to cast them out. That's good news. He'll never say to you, you know what? You're too messed up. Go fix yourself and then come back later. He will receive you if you come to him in faith with your brokenness. In John 6, 35, Jesus gives us this good news. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me, literally he who keeps coming to me, shall not hunger, and he who keeps believing in me shall never thirst. And you can open your Bible all throughout the New Testament, and you can let Jesus speak bad news and good news, and know he always speaks truth that you can trust. And if you have never come to Jesus and believed in him, I think for some in this room, this is your morning. And this is the day of salvation for you. Respond to Christ's invitation and come to him in faith and cry out to him for the forgiveness of your sins and he will not cast you out. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray for those in our church body who are hurting, who are in the pit, who are on the receiving end of injustice, who have truly been forgotten by others. And I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to their hearts and assure them that though they may be forgotten by others, they will never be forgotten by you. And that you are working even in these circumstances under your great, powerful sovereignty to bring about good that will glorify you and accomplish great good for your precious people. 
teach us to trust. And wherever we're at right now, though we may wish we were elsewhere, may we look at where we're at right now and say, this evidently is the post where God wants me today. How will I be faithful today in the big things and in the little things and even in the very little things? May there be, even in our congregation, Lord, a prospering of faithfulness in very little things, knowing that your eyes see it all and that the littlest act of service in the name of Jesus makes screaming headlines in heaven and accomplishes surprising good on earth. I pray for any who are here this morning, Lord, that do not know you yet, that you would just touch their heart, give life to their heart, and draw them to yourself. May they see the beauty of Christ, the beauty of your glory, and be drawn irresistibly to you, Lord, and fall before Jesus in adoration and love. And surrender to his love as, and to him as their Lord and Savior. Do that work in the hearts of those who need it done today. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to give of our offerings to you. Receive these funds that we give in this offering and do much with all that is given that it might serve the greater cause of Christ in this community and and around the world. At the same time, we surrender ourselves to you in the name of Jesus and all God's people said.